Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. Hey, we have an amazing event coming up, the Expert Advantage Workshop Series, where every day for a week, starting on Monday, May 20th, it's myself and another expert coming on to present to you about various kinds of things to help you with your brand and your business. Our brand new experts in residence and pro are gonna be there to co-host these workshops with me, and you're not gonna wanna miss it. You'll have a chance to ask all of them questions, and it's completely free to join. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. On Monday, May 20th, Amy Nelson's gonna come on, and we're gonna talk social media, but specifically how to drive revenue and connect with important stakeholders that matter to you in your business using social media. The next day, we have Noshin Chen, and she's gonna lead a presentation about how to become a better communicator, how to increase those skills faster, because that's gonna help you not just connect with new people, new clients, but also get your idea across better ton of takeaways in that presentation. And all you have to do to sign up and join and get all the links that you need is smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Again, one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Join us on our Expert Advantage workshop series. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. I think a lot of us pressure ourselves to like, ah, there's not enough activity in the community. And like, yeah, because there are 10 people in here. They have other stuff to do. They're not going to be posting in the community all the time. We need to normalize like quieter communities, especially in the beginning. One way of doing that, you start with something that's like a little bit adjacent to community. In my case, it was a course. So thinking about what that structure is that you can put in place where you can get people in the room, but there are other distractions until they can connect more with each other. This week, Tatiana is back and we are going to talk about how to make six figures in your first year as a paid community. And yeah, it sounds Ooh, like, ooh, how to how to have a six-figure launch, blah, blah, blah. No, no, this is actually something she has done more than once. So she's sharing all sorts of hot goss with us today. So keep listening and listen to the end, because then right at the end, Tatiana just does a bullet point list of all the things we talked about. Uh, it's a freaking goldmine roadmap. It's a road to treasure treasure. So stay tuned and also figure out why you should think about your beta group as a dive bar. That's right. So you're listening to the Community Experience Podcast. I'm Jillian Benbow. Let's follow that treasure map. I am so extra excited because we have a repeat guest today, and that is Tatiana. Welcome back. Hi, Jillian. So excited. So Tatiana and I, the last time we hung out was for the Business of Community Summit. Uh, we were on a panel together, which was a delight talking about fun things like the business of community, to which Tatiana has a, a company <laughs> named that. So thank you for letting us 
use that name as well. Yeah, we we were like, we need to do this again. We had such a good time. The first episode, it'll be linked in the show notes for anybody who missed out. Definitely worth it because we're two seasoned community people who have a lot of opinions and spicy takes. So <laughs> go enjoy. Argue with us on the internet. Do it. <laughs> no, we're gang up. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about pricing quite a bit and just like strategy and that kind of stuff last time. But this time we're, we're, get, we're going even juicier because we're going to talk about how to make 100K in your first year with community. No big deal. And the reason we're going to talk about it is because Tatiana did it. So she has the proof. She has, you know, the knowledge and the receipts. So Tatiana, let's just like jump right in because I know everyone wants to know all the hot goss about this. Yeah. How'd you do it? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've written a little bit about this, but I want to kind of set the stage of where I started. And this was a little over a year ago now, maybe like 18 months ago. Now, I was consulting and coaching one on one. And I had been doing that for two to three years, I think, with the focus on specifically community businesses. And I knew that I wanted to build like an example of the thing that I had been coaching and consulting around, but I had not built any kind of list. I had, I had just started writing a newsletter and I had under a hundred subscribers. So very, and like a lot of those people were probably my friends. I had very little audience, not a big Twitter following or following anywhere. I mean, I didn't know I was doing this, but I think what I ended up doing ended up being kind of a, a roadmap that anyone can follow because I really think that, you know, $100,000 in the US in your first year of running this kind of business, it's not something that anyone can guarantee. It's, but it is, I think there are certain things that you can do to raise your chances of making that much in your first year. And there are a lot of common mistakes that I think keep people from doing, from, from being successful from the beginning and from growing enough in the first year to, to get to a point like that. So that's where I started. I also want to offer the disclaimer that I was able to not take on as much consulting while I was building this out. I had already done it for other people. So these results are definitely not guaranteed, but I do think that there is like this roadmap emerging of all of the different steps that you can take to better your chances of doing that. I love that. And yes, disclaimer to everyone listening. This is, there are no guarantees. This is one person's experience, obviously. But what I like about this is just the transparency and honesty about it, right? Because I think we all are really sick of the, lifestyle entrepreneur type bros that are like, Oh, I'll teach you to be, you know, launch all these things and fame and glory and women. And that's just not reality. And that's not what we're doing here. This is like an actual, like, this is how I did it. To your point, I have a roadmap that I've created and you're willing to share it, which is amazing. So we're just talking. So I love, you know, you, you've done it for other people and then decided to do it for yourself. Can you kind of just, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to take over by asking questions. You probably have a, a good way of telling the whole thing, but I'm just curious, like, at, like at what point were you just confident? Like I've figured this out and I'm going to do it for myself. Like, was it just seeing the same results being repeated and just knowing like, yeah, I've got a model. Yeah. I think being inside other people's businesses 
you get a sense of what it looks like when it's going well and what it looks like when it's not going well. And from doing the one-on-one -on -one consulting, there were these frameworks and these ideas and these things that I, I believed in that were kind of just emerging from the work that I was doing. So like how a way for me to explain to my clients how they should approach their marketing that is different if they're building a community versus if they're selling anything else on the internet, a way for to simplify what a community experience is and how you can build one that that works for your community. So these frameworks were kind of just emerging and I was reusing a lot of the documents that I was making with the one-on-one -on -one clients that I was working with. And a lot of them were building courses. So I saw that path, like, oh, I think I can build a course. Like, I think this is, I, I actually saw the, the community and a course as a better way for me to deliver a lot of the content that I was building because it builds a lot more accountability on the side of the client, of the member of the community, because then they have to build it themselves. And that's when they really get it. And that's when the, the organization really retains the, the information. So I saw it not just as a way for me to scale the business and kind of practice what I was preaching, but also as a better way for, for them to really like learn it and, and get it for their organizations. That makes a lot of sense. Tatiana, you are the hostess with the mostest today. You just, you just take us through how, how'd you do it? <laughs> I have some notes on kind of like a path that if you're doing this, you should consider. And this is for if you're starting from scratch, but also maybe if you're already running a community or a course or something like that, and it's not going as expected, this is a thing that you can kind of like restart and do these steps. And the first thing is related to what you just asked, because it's about starting one-on-one -on -one in some kind of way so that you have that deep understanding of who your members are and who they can be. In my case, I was doing paid consulting and coaching, but I also think that I'm a, I'm a big part of what I teach in the course is how you can interview people who might be your members to get a really good sense of who your people are and how you vibe with them, how you relate to them, and, and then turning that like customer discovery into your sales process, which is the, the, the second one that I talked about, which is how do you turn these conversations that you're having with people that are very casual and much more about you gathering information and changing that into a potential sales conversation so that you can get to the third step, which is building some kind of beta for, for what you're doing. That makes sense. How are you finding? So I know, you know, when you were working for these other companies, you had access to their, their user bases and whatnot, when you were thinking about your own thing. And like you said, you had, you know, like a hundred people on a newsletter or on your list, who are you reaching out to, to just to talk? Like, were you targeting very specific people or how do you, how do you go about that? Yeah. You always start with an assumption and then you try to prove the assumption. So in my case, the assumption was that these are solo people who want to start a community business and they're going through some kind of transition. So are they, sometimes they were migrating platforms. Sometimes they were starting all the way from scratch. They were changing a one-on-one -on -one coaching practice to a, a 
group coaching and a community component. I think those who are who my people are, can I find some of those people, talk to them about the problems that they want to solve and see if I'm right about that. And because I was going to places where I knew that these people were going to be hanging out and I was talking about things that were very specific to the thing that I was hoping to build, I started talking to the right people who might have been interested. And then like just approaching the conversations very casually, like, and being very honest, like, I, I think I'm building some kind of community or course for a person like you, but I just want to ask you questions. I'm not going to sell you anything. Like I'm eventually going to build this paid thing and you could totally join, but I just want to like learn more about you and hear your story. And it was good. I got to like make friends with some people and understand who I didn't want to work with, understand who I did want to work with. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost more important. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, that's our third episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So do you have a recommendation as far as volume? Like how many did you talk to before you felt like, okay, I have a solid footing. I've talked like all these people have this similar thing that I've identified and I'm, I'm ready to, I'm confident for the next part, the beta. Yeah. So for me, I don't remember exactly how many people I talked to, but now I are in, I recommend that people aim for five to seven people for each stage of validation. So if you're trying to figure out who you want to target and the problem that they have in common, then do like this one round of five to seven people and then go back and look at the patterns and see what you got from there. And then take some action, do some stuff, and then you can do another round if it, if it makes sense to, to do that. So for very, very early, that's what I recommend, like interviewing people. And then as soon as you like have a good idea for what you want to do, then structure a beta and launch a beta as soon as possible before you're ready and see what you get from actually providing the people the the value that that you promise and do it in a super scrappy way. And maybe we can talk more about that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I love a scrappy a scrappy beta. We're kind of in one right now in the old SPI land, just ahead of um, us launching our courses, moving them to circle and launching them all there. We have a, a group going through an accelerator and it's very much it's like, you know what, we're, we're going to do this and see where are the pain points? How can we fix it? So then when we release this on a bigger scale, we've already done all that. It's Scrappy betas are the place to be. <laughs> yeah. It's like a dive bar. Like there's a time and place for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> dive bar. You have some good names for things. You're a good namer. <laughs> well, thank you. Feel free to take that and, you know, add it to your, add it to your course. My gift to you. <laughs> dive bar. I love that. Cause that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. It's like, come hang out with me at this bar and I'm not going to promise you that your glass is going to be clean, but we're going to have a good time. <laughs> it might be a little sticky, but you know, yeah. the beer is beer. Exactly. <laughs> so I think the important thing when you're structuring a, a beta, especially if you're starting from scratch, you might not have an audience yet. One, you most likely want to make it paid. 
so that you know that it's you're attracting the people who will eventually join your community. This is assuming you're you're building a paid community. I always assume that the community is going to be paid. If we're talking about a six-figure community, I think it's a safe assumption that we're going yeah. <laughs> to have a, have a payment. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so you make the beta paid. And when you're doing a beta, you're testing a few different things. The first thing you're testing, especially if you're starting from scratch, is whether this is a thing that you're gonna wanna do long-term. So I definitely recommend that you don't launch your community as like a never-ending membership the first time that you're doing it. So if you're gonna do a membership community, can you design some kind of three-month community experience that you can make very clear for people, this is what we're gonna do, these are the types of events that we're gonna do once a month, this is what we're going to need feedback on. This is what it is. If you're doing a cohort-based course, which was what I launched with, I had like just a Notion page with roughly what the course was going to be about. I had zero content built and that's how people people signed up. And instead of, there was not even like a place where they can go and like purchase it. Like there was no link. I would send them an invoice because I didn't even bother to like, have a website or build any of that out. Like that's how people had to join. But yeah, if you're building a cohort based course, can you do a, a cohort that's like fully live? There is like nothing that you're building in advance. You're kind of like building it as you get feedback and as you go. If you're building a group coaching program, can you do something that is like a, a weekend virtual retreat or something that you can get the data? Like, yes. I know that people are willing to pay to solve like a portion of this problem and I can give them something within the weekend. And then that's testing like, okay, I'm, I've always been a coach that's one-on-one, -on -one, but what does it look like when I get multiple clients in the room? What does the connection between them look like? And what do I have to design around? What does it look like? And it gives you a really good feeling of the different things that you have to work on for when you actually launch an official version that's closer to the community that you're actually building. So definitely recommend building a beta before you go into the beta. Think about what's the main thing that you're testing. Are you mainly testing the content? If it's a course that you're building, are you testing your business model? Are you testing the marketing channel that you think is going to be your main marketing channel? Are you right about those? Are you wrong about those? And then don't be afraid to be wrong. Like there are a lot of people who launch betas and nobody signs up and that happens. And that's almost like, okay, that didn't work. Like let's break down what didn't work. So it's like expecting to fail in some way and then finding what that is and fixing that little by little and then continuing to launch little things until you're ready for the for the bigger thing. Oh, absolutely. I love that you sent people invoices and didn't do what I would have done, which is get all caught up in the shiny tools and, and things and spend all this time creating this magical checkout process that doesn't actually matter <laughs> and waste time. And also like the people who signed up, you knew they were committed because it's like, look, here's the information. Here's how you sign up. Email me. I'll send you an invoice. That's how we're doing it. And so it, I mean, I think it proves just viability. Like people are interested enough to do it that way and not be like, whoa, this is, you know, is this a Craigslist scam? Not to, not to imply it was, of course it wasn't, but you know what I mean? Like you had the trust and that was 
what mattered. You know, you didn't get in your own way, I guess. Long-witted way of saying that. Yeah, and exactly. They had to jump through some extra hoops in order to sign up early. But that was indicative of the other hoops they were going to have to jump through because the thing was not polished yet. Like they were coming into like a first version of something. Set the expectation. Yeah. yeah. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is a beta. This is what this means. Which I do think like as we, because we use this term, this very like tech programmer terminology and increasingly it's just business jargon, right? But there are the, depending who your community is for they may have no idea what that is. So it is important to like set that expectation, you know, of being like, this is a beta launch and what that means, <laughs> you know, because I mean, even we will get people into beta launches that are like, this is kind of, you know, this is kind of not finished. It's like, we well, had yeah, some beta. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know what that means. It's like, that's good to know. I can see why you're concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Let me explain it to you. That's a great point. Yeah. We live yeah. in a bubble sometimes. In, we do. In this world. <laughs> we do. So I'm curious if you're comfortable sharing, like how many people went through your first, your beta of your, of your now excellent cohort-based course that you run? The beta was $600 to join. And the goal was to get 10 people and we got 10 people in 10 days. There was another incentive to joining the beta, which was... I already knew roughly how much the course was going to be and you got access to it at a lower cost. And then you were in the community for a longer period of time as we build out the the course. So there is some incentive there to, to join early. But yeah, we had 10 people join within 10 days. I think it's so important to point that out because so many people get caught up in, oh my gosh, only 10 people signed up or I can't launch a community. Only I only know 20 people that would do it. And I was like, that's the golden number. Like you're good. You don't want 200 people in your launch. That'll be really hard to do. 10 is a, an excellent number. Even five is an excellent number, you know? And so just for anybody out there that feels discouraged by having like a low, you know, subscriber number or whatever communities, can start very small and they're actually a delight because those people are your ride or dies. They will join, they get super close, they have a wonderful experience and they will be championing your products. They'll be coming back to do things. It's great. You establish such strong relationships. I wish more people would get over the vanity metrics of like, oh, my beta had a thousand members. I bet they didn't have that good of a time. Like, did you talk to each of them every every week? I doubt it, you know? That's a great point. I think it's important to set the expectations for yourself and for the people coming into the community. I think a lot of us pressure ourselves to like, ah, there's not enough activity in the community and people aren't posting all the time. And it's like, yeah, because there are 10 people in here. They have other stuff to do. They're not going to be posting in the community all the time. So I think we need to normalize like, quieter communities, especially in the beginning. And I think one way of doing that in the beginning, if you're starting from scratch again, you start with something that's like a little bit more, a a little bit adjacent to community. So in, in my case, it was a course and people had an excuse to be there, even if they weren't posting all the time and connecting with each other in, in circle. So thinking about what that structure is that you can put in place where you can get people in the room and the idea is still for them to connect with each other, but there are 
other distractions that they can do until they feel more comfortable and they feel like it feels more, more intimate and that they can connect more with each other. Oh, absolutely. It's funny too, because I feel like the more we fixate on people's like, Oh, they haven't posted. And so then, you know, you go check in with them and they're like, Oh no, I'm good. Like I got so-and-so's number and we've been meeting in real life, you know, to, to talk about this project or whatever. It's like, Oh, okay. And it's like, you did your job, like as a community builder, like you're good, you know, like you, people make connections, they're doing things. It's just, they're just not doing it on blast in front of you. And that's okay. You know, I worked for a company that will not be named that had this like very strict policy of like no offsite. Like you, you weren't allowed to get contact info and, and take the conversation offsite. It was of course, like I didn't even follow that rule. No one did. It was so silly. Right. It was like, we're adults. We're good. But it was like, oh, we need the metrics. Right. It was all about user engagement metrics so that like VC daddy would be happy, you know? And it's like, it's like, that's not how humans work. <laughs> like let people talk to each other, how they want to talk to each other. Uh, that's a really good point too. I always like to say like your community is not like your community platform. It's not circle your community. Your community are the people and people are wild. Like people are going to do what they do and you just, (laughs) (laughs) and I think it's good. I think it's good to encourage that. You don't want your community to be, to be this silo where people only go at a certain time for certain things. Like you want it to integrate into the rest of their life and you know people meeting in person that's like a huge win for a community builder and yeah yeah for once in a while i'll get just like a random like picture you know like someone will be like oh i wanted to share i met up with this person and it's like the two of them i'm just like one i'm like fomo 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 you know <laughs> but it's, it's often people that aren't super vocal in the spaces, you know, of the community, but they're obviously like wheeling and dealing with people because they're meeting in real life and like having conversations and collaborating and doing all these things. But that is one of those things where with community, it is so hard to prove success and value because metrics cannot capture it all. I think if you optimize only for the things that you can measure, you are actually ignoring a lot of your potential community members or your current community members, because not everyone likes to write posts. And it's just, some people are just in the DMs. Some people just come to every single event and you'll never see them write a post about what they did. So I think it's, yeah, I think you should consider the different styles of people in the community. And, you know, the beauty of building a, a, a smaller community and a community like, 100K for us, for example, in our first year, that was less than 100 people for us. So it's not a huge community. And the data that we track is very like story focused. And it's very like these people launched their community and look how much they made and look what they did. It's less like these people click these links. Well, and I so that brings up a good point. And like back to the, you know, the the 100K idea. I think it's easy to to be like, oh, I have to go for volume, right? Like I'm going to get a thousand people that pay, you know, whatever. When in reality, like a very good community, people will pay a few hundred bucks or more for, and you can get to that hundred K with a lot less people. And in a way, then the community is really tight. Like, you know, it's easy to keep track of a hundred people. It's very hard to keep track of a thousand people. 
Yeah, I, I definitely recommend that for most people, starting with like the highest touch version of the thing you're building that you can charge more for, because then you start your community from a place of abundance. You're whole because these people just paid to be here and you freed up enough time to be there for them and to really build the community with them. So I always recommend starting with like the thing that doesn't scale with community, because even if you change slightly what you offer later on and like maybe you're doing some kind of like cohort in the beginning, but then you shift to it being like an evergreen course or just a membership that has some guest speakers by starting with the thing as more intensive and more high touch, you get the right people in the room who are really committed and you already, your, your business starts in the green, like you're not in the red ever. And you're not hoping that, you know, a hundred people will pay you $20. You, you're able to like really solve the problem for a small number of people. And it's just a lot easier to like, yeah. Manage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so going back, you did your first, your first beta group and then how did you structure? Cause I know, you know, you do, a, unless it's changed. So feel free to correct me, but you do like cohorts through your course. Correct. And so I'm assuming like from a revenue standpoint, maybe it was different the first year, like you're bringing in these groups of people at certain points throughout the year, and then they get X amount of time in the community. Is that sort of kind of, this is like a good segue from what I was just saying from the beginning, I knew that I wanted this to be some kind of membership and ongoing support for people because Building a profitable community business is not something that you can figure out in a six-week cohort. A lot of the people who take the course, they end up launching like four months later or five months later. And then a year later, they're like, now they have a community and they still have questions about, okay, how do I launch this new engagement project or this new thing that like they, it's a, we want to be a part of their life cycle and the, the journey that they're in the community. So the plan was always to have some kind of membership that would be kind of that partner in the journey for people building community businesses. Um, but strategically, because I didn't have a big audience and I knew that there was this course that I wanted to build out to be a part of the, of the ongoing membership, we started with that part because I knew that I could charge more for a cohort-based course and starting with it as cohorts. It's also like I can go hard for the six weeks and like build out this course in six weeks. But there are a lot of other parts of the community that me alone, I wouldn't have to immediately figure out. I wouldn't have to immediately have like a detailed CRM of the community members so that I could like track all everything that they were doing. I didn't have to always be on in the community because it was going to be less people and it was going to move a lot slower because a lot of the action was focused in the cohorts. And then the, the community was almost like just a, a bonus. So it wasn't something that was like a promised thing that was going to be super lively. So by starting with the cohort first, I was able to charge more from the beginning and then like ease into what the membership and build out the community pieces later so that we didn't have to do everything all at one time. So the journey that we went through to get to 
where we are now is we built up the community after like two or three cohorts. The community had like the rituals, it had the ongoing events that we do, it had hot seats, it had member hosted events, feedback sessions, all of the different events that we were doing. We were testing out a lot of them and we were figuring out which ones were going to be long-term part of the community. Again, like at that point, we didn't call it this, but the community was kind of in beta. People came for the course and they got to stay for a whole year as part of the community. So I could test a bunch of stuff. And then if nobody came to an event, then I would know about that. I could ask people things. People could help with things because it felt like a, a bonus part of a thing that they paid for. So slowly started to like build up what the community structure could roughly look like. And then after I think three cohorts, we went evergreen on when people could join. So people could join at any point and whenever they joined, they would opt into the following cohort. So they would, if you joined like two months before you were automatically in the, the cohort that was going to happen in two months. And I did that because a lot of people were reaching out to me in between cohorts because you know, they're building a community right now. So they need help now and they need to know the information. And it just didn't make sense to always make people wait for three months. The evergreen were, was the, the thing we started doing little by little. And we started automating different parts of the experience after the, the third cohort. And then what we're doing now is like, we're fully moving into the evergreen and the, the we're still going to have like two cohorts a year, but the live experience is really going to be kind of throughout the year. And it's going to be more of a part of the experience versus it being just like a, an intensive cohort. And instead of us doing like these big launches for the cohorts, they're just going to be a part of the experience, but you can come into the course in the community at any time. I like that. That's something we kind of shifted from as well in pro was we had quarterly enrollments and it was just like two weeks each quarter that you could get in and kind of just came to the conclusion of like, why, if someone wants to join now, why are we stopping them? You know, like, why are we making them wait? Cause usually they're like, I need help with this thing. I like, I'm stuck. That's why I want to join. It's like, Ooh. And so we did have to change our programming a bit because we used to have it all revolve around these big enrollments and like, Everybody coming in this cohort, you know, here's like onboarding programming and stuff. So we made, we changed it. And there's definitely like some give and take with that. Like there's some things I liked better in the uh, cohort enrollment, just as far as like camaraderie within the cohort and things was easier when it's literally like this huge group that all joined in the same two weeks. But also it was a lot of work <laughs> as anyone who's done any sort of cohort can attest to just like the organization and the communication and all of it. So ultimately for the better. But I think that goes back to uh, something you said earlier and just the point of like, things change, you know? I think you were referring more to like, sometimes things just like utterly don't work, but also sometimes things work okay. And you you still wanna just like, community is constant, right? That's like one of the cardinal rules of community. Like it's chaos <laughs> and it's constant. Like there's, it's always gonna be, you're always gonna be tinkering and changing things based on, where you are, the, you know, maturity of your community, as far as like how long it's existed and just all these things. Yeah. 
I agree. And and the community usually has the answer for you. Mm -hmm. If you look at the combination of like your member journey and how you can best help them and what you feel like doing and the kind of business you want to run, you can start to see that there are always going to be trade-offs, especially this around this question around, should I do cohorts or should I do kind of open enrollment? And those are like the two things to consider. What are my members? What's best for my members? And are they asking for this in between the cohorts? And then also like, what kind of business do you want to run? Do you want to do like the start and stop of the cohorts and like this big excitement? Or do you prefer it to be kind of more even, but like work throughout the the year? And I think it's, there are trade-offs to both of them. And I think they're both valid ways of doing it. Absolutely. And it is, it's so, it's funny because people, I'm, and I, I know you get this too, like people will ask questions about something about their community and like, <laughs> The answer is always, it depends. <laughs> and I always feel kind of like a jerk to be like, well, like I said, for your last question, it depends, but it really does. Because depending on what, like you said, your goals are, what, you, what you're aiming to do, what your members want, it depends. But there's some freedom in that. Like you get to just be so creative, which is one of my favorite parts of this work. I think it's why I stick with it is, you know, it's just whatever you can dream up could possibly be, you know, what you do. And that's fun. I totally agree. And I always like I, I find a lot of times my job is to just give permission for people to do weird stuff in their community because they they have like this weird idea and they're like, I don't know if I should do that. Is that weird? Has anyone else ever done that? And I'm like, probably not. You should do it. <laughs> yeah. Get weird. Let's get weird. So going back to the elusive 100K, I mean, I, I, I feel like I see the trajectory here, right? Like it's a pretty, it's pretty clear about just like talking to people and really, you know, getting the validation, go to the dive bar and just figure it out as you're doing it. It'll be a little bumpy, but that's okay. Uh, and then, you know, assessing what, what works, what doesn't work and just tinkering as, as we say, get weird. For you, it sounds like just like following that cohort model, you were able to get enough people to join in that first year to hit that number. Do you have any, I guess, is there any other like advice or tips that you want to share for anybody that's kind of like, okay, I like, I also see how this happened and just like lessons learned or anything. I think for me, partnerships were really big. So the way I think about it is how can I bring how it feels in the community, a little piece of it to different places where potential members are hanging out. So in my case, it was like teaching little workshops because a lot of the community was based on the course. But if it's more of like a membership community, what is the signature event that you have in the community? And can you offer to do that for free in places where your members are hanging out? And that can be other communities, that can be meetup groups, that can be in person, wherever your members are. And if you don't know, like literally ask them the in, in those first conversations, that's a good thing to ask your members. Wherever they are, like showing up there and then not only like providing like a little piece of what your community is, but also like directly inviting them to join your community. A lot of people forget that part and they'll... <laughs> They'll like speak at a thing or they'll do a workshop for another community. And then 
at the end, they're like, and also you can also like join my thing. Okay. Bye. And then they like leave that part for like, <laughs> they, they just like briefly mention it at the end. And when you present something and when you're like presenting a little piece of what your community is at the end, the people who are listening to you want to know where they can get more of that if they are interested. So it is your job to let them know where they can get more of that, which is your community. So I really think that giving space to what your pitch is, which is like really your invitation for people to join the community when you do these like workshops or free getting in front of other people's audiences and like just working on what that invitation looks like for you in a way that it feels good in a way that you is sales, but doesn't feel like sales to you because you're just talking about your thing. That is such good advice, especially because I think a lot of people who build communities, like I don't want to do the sales pitch. Like, uh, you know, it's not, it's not like some people are very good at it and, and do it in a way that's not gross. I know I get so distracted by like, I don't want to sound like this, like sleazy sales, pitch, you know, and then I just get awkward as, as one does and probably like make it worse. But it is true. I love what you're saying about let them have, like, let them share a piece of what it's like, like share the vibe, right? Like a piece of what it's like in your community and make it clear, like, this is what we do in this community. And here's where it is. And if people want to explore that, like let them, because you're right. There's, there's events. I know like from a, like a, a potential customer side, like I'll go to something and just be like, wow, I really like this person. Like in a way it's almost like, Ooh, I want to be friends with them. Or I want to hang out with them. Like where are they at? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so like just creating that opportunity to be like, yeah, this is where I am right here. So come on, come on down. Yeah. I think we miss that opportunity a lot. I know. I know. Well, and I think too, cause I think a lot of us are cognizant of not wanting to be the sleazy, like digital entrepreneur person that, you know, that was very abundant a few years ago. So we're all trying not to, we're all trying to be like, no, 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 no. I actually have expertise and know what I'm talking about. And like, you, I'm not selling a book to make, you know, to teach you how to write a book, even though I don't know how, and I need you to buy it to fund my life. Like it's not that whole, like just BS world that was very prevalent for a while there. Um, I'm curious. So if you could give people tips on, you've mentioned already, ask your members, like, where are you hanging out? Was there any other like kind of place you were able to discover in other ways? Or I'm just curious how you found these places. And then I assume just reaching out and saying, Hey, I'd like to offer a free service, you know, to actually like get in the, the proverbial door. So people are more likely to join your community when they're going through some kind of transition. And there's probably something that they've joined or something that they're doing if they are going through that transition. So the transition can be they just had a baby or they want to switch jobs or they are starting a community or they're starting a business. So whatever that transition is for them, there's probably someone who is building content around that or already has a community that is like adjacent to yours, but in a different thing. So that's what I would think about. Like, what is that transition? And then how can you target those people? Like, what are those people already doing? And hopefully when you think about that, those places are like immediately come to mind for you. And then that's where you can start to go on the internet and like read everything about it first. And then start thinking about the people who you already know who might be adjacent to those places where you can 
ask them to connect you to people who will chat with you on a very informal non-sales basis. And that's how you can get a few of your interviews so that you can get direct data from people. So yeah, that's what I recommend for the interviews as well as for your partnerships. So always keeping that in mind so that you have a list of your audience, for example, this is like very meta, but this is like uh, going on podcast is a great like quote unquote partnership because you're, I'm getting in front of your audience to like, and your audience is very aligned with what I talk about and with people who might want to join the course in the community that I have. So this is like a good example of what I'm talking about. (laughs) All of us community builders, man. (laughs) get us together. No, that, that is a very good point. And I could see, you know, if someone who isn't in the community field, like we are, you know, that being very powerful, it really is networking, right? Like community building in many ways is kind of just ha- being willing to network in, in some way, whether it's in person or not. And, you know, a few years ago, I would have rolled my eyes at that and been like, I don't want to do that, you know, like oh, humans. But I, I do think like, if it's a topic you're very excited about, it's fun. And that's also just kind of a good like pulse check with whatever it is you're creating. Like, are you excited to go talk to people about it? Because if you're not, eh, there's a little red flag there, you know? I mean, we all get burnt out, but like you should be genuinely like excited about what it is. Yeah, because it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're close to time. So I just want to, did we miss anything or is there any other kind of takeaways you want to make sure we share today? Yeah. Let me reiterate the bullets that I have here on my little list. So one, start one-on-one. Two, think about how to turn conversations to sales. Three, build a beta. Four, find key partnerships. Five, make sure to charge early. Six, start with more than just community. So that's where I was talking about a course or some kind of retreat or some kind of experience that decenters just people connecting with each other. So it's not awkward. And then the last two are build systems early. So the reason why we were able to hit 100K in the year is because we were doing a lot of the same things and getting better each cohort. And that allowed us having built the systems in the, in the background allowed me to like not be solving the same problems over and over again. So building the systems is the next to last one. And then the last one is as soon as you can hire someone to help you. (laughs) Yes. How long did it take before you hired someone? Probably like 10 months. So it was like, yeah. Was there, if you could do it again, are you like at the six month mark is when I should have, or was 10 months just like, was that the right time? I think if I wasn't doing any consulting, then I think I could have done it on my own for the whole year. I think like just one person can, can do it again. Remembering that like, I like happened to have a lot of these skills needed already. So I, there was a lot that I didn't need to hire people for. But I think because I was like consulting and I was also building this on the side, um, it was a lot of work for a lot of months. So I probably should have done it a little bit earlier. I think it's one of those things that's hard. And then, uh, and, and why I asked 
just out of curiosity, right? Just because I'm nosy. But I think a lot of people is like, in hindsight, I wish I would have hired earlier, you know, because once it's scary to be like, oh, is this sustainable? Yada, yada, yada. But then you do it. And and I mean, like even a contractor, not necessarily like a full-time hire. Although if you get to that place, excellent. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's scary to do. And then often you do it and you're like, oh, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. And you can start really small too. That's what I should have done because you can start testing it out earlier on with the person as a contractor and then seeing if it works out and going from there. Cause it is, you, you do want someone who is going to fit with the community, fit with the style that you work in. And it's still like a very kind of unique job. Um, there's still like a lot of moving pieces. So it does take a while to to train on all of the different pieces if the person doesn't already have the experience. So yeah, like starting early, if you, if you can, allows you to like get up and running earlier. But yeah, I'm very glad to have hired Rachel when we did. Yay, Rachel. And she's our ops manager. That's great. I will say from experience, and I'm sure you share this opinion too, if you're hiring someone to work in your community and you're just like, I don't know where to start. Where do I find someone? And pro people joke, they're like, where do I hire a Jillian? You know, and which I'm like, you don't want me, but <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm more trouble than I'm worth. But the, the advice I give, and this is for whether it's a couple hours a week or full time is like community management is very much a I think like almost anyone can do it. It's not rocket science. It's more about personality and willingness to help and just having the right type of attitude that, you know, can be transferred to like writing a forum post and having the same voice as if, you know, on a call. But the thing I would recommend everyone look for is a problem solver because to your point just now, like there's a lot of moving parts, things break, people have different things that special circumstances that are impacted by something that happened or, you know, and you really need someone who can just has the confidence and agency to figure it out and not constantly be like, help, you know? And of course, when someone first starts, you're going to have to help them. And of course you should. Right. But like once they're comfortable and I think it takes at least six months. So be patient because all the things in your brain that you created into your community, they aren't in your brain too. So it takes a while, but yeah, you want someone that after six months, you can trust them to just kind of, they understand not only policies and processes, but you trust them to just be able to make decisions, you know, and they trust themselves. Uh, I think that's a huge, that's like what I hire for. <laughs> yeah. How many people on your team now? Like you've done this a few times. Yeah. No, we're, we're a pretty small and mighty team considering what we do. We have, so there's myself and then two full-time community managers. And then we have part-time help in our inbox, which is also under community. So, but now like courses, everything's under community now, all of our products, if you will. So all the memberships, all the course content, all of it. So it's a uh, scrappy. We are the dive bar. <laughs> we are the bartenders <laughs> on Friday night with the live music. But yeah, we, we make it work. But it, it definitely requires like a lot of autonomy. And I'm fortunate. I trust my team to make decisions. They will bring things up, you know, if they want. Second opinion, I do the same. Like, you know, just like, hey, am I reading into this too much? You know, and like kind of just get opinions. But also when it's needed, we'll, you know 
support each other, but I also trust both of them to just like make decisions, figure things out, keep moving forward, you know, and it's huge. It's huge. And it's very time consuming when you first hire people because they, it's a lot to learn. Like even if you're a community professional, there's still a lot to learn as far as like systems and then just like all the nuances of the type of community it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like every community I've worked for has been entirely different in just everything from the little inside jokes that are considered funny or not to the programming that hits and what flops. And like, I tried to bring something over from my last community to pro and it was like, oh no, they don't want to do this. Okay. <laughs> like it worked in this other community, but it does not work here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Tatiana, so obviously you teach this in a much greater depth in the cohort we've been talking about. So let's just give a quick overview. We've talked about it on the show before, but I think it's it's a fantastic experience for anybody who's listening is like, okay, I love this roadmap. I like these, you know, seven points, but I have questions. I need more. Just tell us about the course. Yeah. Plug your plug your stuff. Do your sales pitch now that we talked about how awkward it is to talk about sales. <laughs> <laughs> I will. What I'm talking about resonated with you. A lot of what we're doing in the community and in the course is building it up so that it become the whole thing becomes a guide to help you to get to 100K. And like I mentioned, it's removing it to total like evergreen enrollment. So at any time that you're listening to this, you're, you can go to our website and apply for the community, usually get back to you within a couple days. And what it is, is you get both the course with a lot of different templates, a lot of resources that you can learn how to do like all the details of everything that we talked about here. The course is in five different categories. So we talk a lot about leadership and the kind of leadership that we need to, to run a community, our own view of connection and loneliness and belonging. We talk about business models. So what's the best business model for your specific member growth journey and how you validate at every stage that, that you're in. Community experience, of course, what are all of the different things that you can bring to your community that's going to be a good fit for your member growth journey. Sales and marketing, again, marketing and sales is very different in the community context. So we teach a way for you to do that in a way that feels good to you and doesn't feel sleazy and where you can invite people into the community in a way that feels good to you. And then you reach your, your revenue goals as well. And then the last one is one that we're investing a lot in for next year, and that's tools and process. And this is like how to document everything that you're doing, the community automation process, and how you can do that no matter what kind of community you run and the different platforms that you use. So yeah, that one is like very focused on operations and automation and all the, the tech around it. So yeah, it's a course with those five pillars that you can go at at your own pace. And then the community supports you through that whole journey with our all of our events, office hours with me, hot seats. We just did a hot seat today where someone was building their launch sequence for, for their community where they could invite people in. So I have this conversation a lot about feeling uncomfortable selling. So yeah, if it, if it resonates with you, I hope that you'll consider applying on our website. It's buildacommunitybusiness.com. 
Excellent. And while you're there, well, just to plug it for you, Tatiana has a wonderful newsletter and I, I subscribe to it through your, your other website, totfig.com. But I don't know if you have a direct link to it or if that's the best way. So the name of the business overall is businessofcommunity.co. And that's where you can sign up for the newsletter. That's where you'll get linked to all of the different parts. Yeah. Ah, so just go to where you told people to go. Got it. <laughs> or go to Todd Fig and take a take a journey. Yeah. But <laughs> I think I mentioned two different ones, which is confusing. So there is businessofcommunity.co, which is where you can sign up for the, the free newsletter. And then there's, from there, you'll be linked to the course in the community, which is buildacommunitybusiness.com. And that's where you can sign up. That's right. See, <laughs> it's <me>. my fault. <laughs> I confuse easily. Excellent. Well, we know that is where to find you. Also on Twitter, I know you're at Tot Fig. For anybody who wants to head over to the Twitter sphere, we're often interacting over there. And yeah, thank you for coming back and being being a repeat guest. I love talking with you. Yes, we have so much fun. Maybe maybe we'll do a, a three-peat. Who knows? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here. Thanks, Jillian. And that's the episode with Tatiana. She shared all, all the links, all the knowledge. I hope you enjoyed it. Let's keep this short and sweet. I'm going to see you next Tuesday. But in the meantime, hit me up on Twitter. What did you think? Do you think you could use this model or are you using this model? Yeah, it's the treasure map. So go get weird in your community and I'll see you next Tuesday. You can find Tatiana at businessofcommunity.co. You can also find her on Twitter at Totfig. Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski. And our editor is Paul Gregoris. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday.